happening now. We'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. This is episode 108 for September the 26th, 2018. I am Wes Fryer coming to you from Oklahoma City, where I am the Director of Technology at the Cassidy School. And normally, I am joined by Jason Neifer in Missoula, Montana, but Jason is on extended assignment and gallivanting about the country, reportedly evangelizing the goodness of ed tech amidst all the bad news from Facebook and other social media sites. Jason is ready to, you know, counter that entire narrative. But joining us as a special guest, and we have a series of guests lined up for the coming weeks, is Miguel Gulen, who probably is most famous for, in the early days of blogging, being a fearless, you know, individual setting himself on fire to draw a crowd. And I think recently has become the uh, nor official North America spokesman for Microsoft EDU. And I'm so thrilled to have Miguel here. I know we're going to have a good conversation. Miguel, you are looking like you're at an Edward Snowden motel or hotel tonight. Are you joining from Hong Kong or somewhere else? No, I'm not allowed to reveal my location. <laughs> However, um, I, I do want to say that I am working on a Microsoft project at, at this time. So I, I can't give you too many details about it, except that uh, uh, it is a free workshop that's being facilitated. It's on make code, micro bit, physical computing. It's very exciting. And uh, I'm looking forward to it it's tomorrow. Uh, I want to know about that. So I will let you know that in the last week or so, we have activated our Microsoft 365 education account and we've had the green light and this is actually something I needed to do weeks ago, but things have been a bit, a bit busy around our, our shop at school, but we uh, are, have, have jumped into the Minecraft education license for all of our middle school, fifth through eighth graders. And our makerspace teacher, Eric Sappington is just been chomping at the bit to jump into the make code. And the stuff that he's showed me is just awesome. And he's already had kids, doing things through make code with um, little LED, um, you know, I don't know, circuit boards and ways, you know, the kids are using block-based programming to create algorithms that have a physical manifestation. And like, there's all this amazing stuff that he's doing. So are you going to be doing uh, anything in terms of like Arduinos or connect? I mean, do you know what you're connecting tomorrow? As far yes. As yes. Um, I would love to get a, a circuit playground express. It's the little one that, a little circular device that uh, you can connect, and uh, but we haven't had we haven't had a chance to purchase that. I, I should just order one, but um, and I think those run about twelve fifteen dollars. I'm not sure, but uh, the microbit um, is one that we'll be using tomorrow in tomorrow's session, and basically taking advantage of some of the projects that are already on the site. But if you go online and or just check out the Microbit uh, uh, Twitter account, it is incredible all the awesome stuff that that kids can do with it, and I think people just don't see it. And what's more, now that you have that Office 365 license, by the way, I, I just want to clarify: you need to keep Microsoft license versus Office 365. I always talk about the Microsoft license as your personal account. Your Microsoft account is your personal account. Your Office 365 is your work account. Uh, sometimes people mix those up and it just causes a lot of confusion. So, but now that you have your Office 365 or that you're getting it, uh, that's great because you'll be able to get Minecraft and then you'll be able to do the, uh, 
make code in Minecraft Education Edition. So. Exactly. Well, and as I've done the licenses, the one weird thing, and i got to contact Microsoft about this tomorrow, and we will, by the way, be talking about the week's technology news before we – Great. But um, there's a, there's a, a little link because we bought – you know, X number of licenses that as students log in with their account, it can automatically grant them the license because we actually, there's some cleanup that we need to do in that child organization from Google that I, you know, imported as the CSV file and all that fun stuff. Uh, anyway, and it doesn't work in the Chrome or Firefox browser. So I've got to contact Microsoft to, to figure out like, do I have, and anyway, I need to, I can try to do that in the edge browser. I don't know if that's a browser thing or what, but, uh, I actually activated the licenses without giving everybody Office 365. Microsoft really wants you to. Um, but we're having those conversations right now at school about what is it that we want to, to activate. And we've been at Google school for seven or eight years. And so anyway, Microsoft's strategy of the Minecraft purchase and can we bring more people to the fold by having Minecraft, it's worked. So, and I'm just, I'm excited because we've had Minecraft EDU for, gosh, since 2013, I've been working with it and five years and it's just, it's awesome. And, the, and I would have been struck by lightning to say this, you know, years ago, but it's awesome to see how Microsoft has innovated in this space and especially all the things they're doing with coding and the ways that they connect it to so much. It's just, it's fantastic. And I can't wait to see, you know, because we already have teachers coming to the makerspace. We have a new middle school makerspace and just, it's great to see all that innovation. It is. I, I hope, hopefully uh, folks that are listening and watching uh, have gone to the education.minecraft uh, website and checked out all the neat things that are happening, especially take a look at the blog and the lesson plans. And, you know, when they first started out, it, it, I said, wow, there's not that much stuff here, but they have been adding and innovating so much that uh, it's just incredible. So uh, I'm, I definitely agree with you. And you know what I really like about the make code is that it works with so many different platforms. Right. It's completely free. It works on all your devices, your Chromebook, iPad, whatever. And you can control, you know, your Lego robotics, the, what is it, the EV3, as well as um, the Circuit Playground Express, the, you know, Microbit, Dot and Dash, you know, all of those. Yep. So you show kids how to use MakeCode. They can go uh, flip over to JavaScript or that you can even um, use uh, Python, um, which I don't know anything about. I'm uh, happy to admit. But you know what? I, my daughter, who is... Uh, a doctoral student now, um, she had to learn Python so that she could, you know, finish her geography degree. You think who's going to need Python for geography or whatever? I can't, I am, I am sure that, uh, in the next few years, you'll probably need Python for, uh, Finish an English degree. English, yeah, no, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Well, we want to give a shout out to Peggy George, who's joining us live in our chat room. We want Yay, to encourage anybody who might happen to be tuning in live uh, on our YouTube link. There is a chat there on the right side, and I've got monitoring that on my other other screen over here to give voice to any questions or comments. Um, we appreciate Peggy joining us. And we are the EdTech Situation Room. So normally on Wednesday evenings, we are here, and we did skip last week. But we will take a look at recent, relatively recent, news articles uh, relating to technology and then talk about those from an educational perspective. And I did know up front that having Miguel on the show 
we were guaranteed to hear about you know Microsoft goodness. So we um, hope that the the uh, Apple overlords are not going to strike us down. Um, fortunately, they don't control Google, so I think we're just fine on this Google Hangout tonight. But let's take a look at a few articles and. Actually, I think the one I'll start with, I had I just finished reading today, um, and this was from Business Insider yesterday on September 25th, and the title is Used to YouTube star Brandon Rogers tells the inside story of his rise to 4.5 million subscribers from his big break to clueless execs and Facebook's one hilarious request. And this is a fascinating article um, talking about how hard he worked and how he thought a lot of years were just going to be wasted, but he's really been on the edge of a lot of platforms. And the article says, I think until he reached a million subscribers, you know, it really wasn't paying his bills. He was hired by a law firm when he moved to Los Angeles to create day in the life stories that were really kind of, that were sob stories about, you know, the challenges that someone was facing. And then that was shown in court to sway a jury to award a, a benefit to somebody. And he ended up connecting with that camera uh, man and then, you know, starting to do comedy. And anyway, it just really, I think, speaks to what is the dream of many teens today, and that is to become a YouTube star. It's really a lot like probably going to the NFL or the NBA. This is not something that a lot of people are going to do, but it is happening. And it's pretty fascinating to see, you know, what is happening on the media landscape. Of course, it impacts us in the classroom and impacts us in school, but then also, you know, thinking about the ways that people are making living, you know, doing things like playing games and doing comedy routines and, and all kinds of things. So, Miguel, what have you seen? I know you're you've got a, a daughter now in you know doctoral program. Is your son graduated from high school or is where yes, is he? He's, he's graduated from high school. Oh and I, I know time flies, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, what yeah. have you seen for them as far as YouTube? I mean, has that been a big part of their lives? And what is, is the, you, you know, how, how much does that play into your own learning in life at this point as an adult? Oh my gosh. Well, I have to share the story because, uh, just, um, you, you know, you, when, when you're, you're raising a young man, uh, you're, you're hoping that he's going to, something's going to happen that they're going to wake up and say, Oh, I found my passion for life, you know, and, uh, they'll follow that and, and, uh, then, you know, they'll be okay. Well, my son, uh, for several years, uh, had access to all the great technologies, but he, he always said he wanted to be a big YouTuber, right? He's really? watching all these YouTube, um, guys. And, uh, I forgot the name of, uh, all the ones that he mentioned, but they're, you know, they were all big name stars. And, uh, but he never produced a, a video. And uh, I, I remember I asked him one time, you know, y your 10-year-old uh, cousin uh, just has her mobile, her iPhone, and she's already uh, posting videos online and, and doing stuff and appearing in videos. What's stopping you? Of course, she's probably in violation of all, <laughs> of all the rules. But still, uh, so he finally started producing, and he started making videos about, Nothing at all, it seemed. And I remember one of his proud moments. He called me over and he said, Dad, look at this. And he showed me a check for one cent. And I looked at it and I said, huh, that was his ad revenue, one cent. Literally, they sent him a check for one penny? Well, I don't think they, sh they – they didn't send him a check, but it was online. It was on screen, so it was like showing how much he had made. And it was like you – know, I looked at it and I thought, wow, it's just a penny. I could give him a penny. I'm, in fact, I could walk around the house and I could find more than what he's made off of a hundred videos that he's published to YouTube. 
But then I realized, oh my gosh, he's actually, you know, earning ad revenue on YouTube. No Gulen has ever done that, ever. In the whole history of Gulens, you know, all the way from back to Sweden, all the way to America, uh, no one has ever in our family made a penny off of the internet this way. So what a celebration that was. And he started growing because of his desire to publish videos on YouTube. And uh, he started using uh, open source uh, video editing tools. I can't imagine who influenced him to turn to open source. Not me. I tried to get him to For use real? For real? For yeah. real? Was it you? Oh, wow. The boy turned away from Linux. I thought he was doomed. You know, he, he insisted that he loved Windows. Um, and he started using... Uh, um, this was, of course, before Windows 10. He started using uh, all of these different uh, uh, editors, video editors. Eventually, um, I, I had to do a workshop or session. I said, hey, do you know of any good video editors? He said, yeah. And then he told me what it was. I was like, oh, I'd never even heard of that one. Let me go ahead and uh, try it out. And then uh, I guess the end of the story is that he's now in college at Texas State. Ah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, at Texas State. And uh, he is. What kind of an animal is that on your hat? On your head? I have no idea. I think it's a bobcat. Okay. Texas State bobcats. <laughs> That's so, right. Pretty cool. But um, uh, yeah, so he's he's like doing all this stuff with video. He's into social media or whatever the degree that goes along with that. I don't know what that is, marketing or something. But anyways, he's he's doing all this stuff. He's making cranking out videos. But is YouTube really the place where we need to end up, Wes? They're talking mm. about Twitch TV and stuff like that. Do you well, have, do you have something going on Twitch? There's a no. I uh, my son is you know was uh, he, he he loves. It's amazing how kids like to watch, and not just kids, yeah. but folks like to watch other people game. And this is a a big deal. I mean, we had a headline about that when there was a shooting recently, right? With a um, EA Sports sponsored event, I think, in Florida. Oh yeah, um, yeah where yeah, people yeah. were were shot. But like, there's the gaming industry is huge. And this is going to continue to be a reality, like the power of the tools and the immersive, you know, multidimensional uh, um, features of, of, of the worlds in which people are going to be able to play games and then create games and all that is just going to continue. So, I mean, that article from Business Insider was pretty interesting because this Brandon Rogers has really, you know, kind of jumped from platform to platform. He was an early YouTuber, but actually was censored and stuff was taken down. Then he was offered some stuff with Facebook and he produced some series there. There was another, um, there was another platform that, ah, what was it? I, I guess I could pull up the article, but it was one that was, they pulled the plug. AT&T and some other companies um, have, you know, are, are trying different subscription-based stuff. I mean, people are iterating. And that's one of the lessons from the article. He says the execs don't know what they're doing. You know, they know talent is needed. And so in some cases, they're paying talent to produce content. But, you know, it was really... He, he, he jumped to fame through Vine because people made six second clips over some of the things that he was doing. And he does comedy. And I, and to be clear too, I have not watched his stuff. I think, uh, there's stuff that really, you know, presses the boundary. So very well could be a not safe for work kind of thing. Um, but he, you know, has moved from platform to platform and through Vine people, he didn't get attribution for what he did. And it was actually another YouTuber that learned that because he plays characters and he dressed up in costumes. And so somebody kind of put the pieces together like, oh, this one is this guy is this guy. They gave him credit. He said overnight, 27,000 more subscribers, you know, came wow. now he's got over a million people. I mean, 
video is a part of the landscape. I mean, one of my favorite things to say in workshops is video is the pencil of the 21st century. So I think every student needs to become conversant, not only in the, you know, wise and responsible consumption of media, but also the effective and I would say, you know, ethical production of media as well. Um, I don't have this in the show notes, but there was a great uh, NPR this morning. I listened on my, my Google Home. One of my news channels is, is NPR, and they were talking about deep fakes and the way that in this these oh, midterm yeah. elections, we're going to undoubtedly see videos that are created by algorithms that make candidate X say whatever, you know, opponent Y wants them to say. And so, you know, in the same way that we look at hopefully pictures and think about Photoshop and how that is, you know, possibly not the way that person looks or it's, you know, that alien head is really not on Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever. Uh, we're going to have to look at video in the same way. You know, it's just, it's, it's an incredibly dynamic and fast changing environment. And, and so, no, I don't know that YouTube is where we all need to, to land. And I would say as a, a dad who has been helping our daughter for years, you know, with her channel and she's got over 800 or 900 subscribers or something like that, not producing as many videos as she has been. She's a ninth grader now, freshman in high school. Uh, it's a landscape where we need to be engaged together because there are definitely landmines. Any of us can go viral at any time and it's probably not going to be for a good thing, you know, and a lot of that attention can be really negative and just horrific. I mean, especially the kinds of things that, that women face, you know, coders, um, it's, there's, there's horrific trolling and, and bullying and things like that that go on. But as you're telling the story about your son and I can tell stories about Rachel, there's wonderful, wonderful skills. There's friendships. There's, there's literacy skills, right? That they yeah. are developing and acquiring. And so the landscape is not one of just horrific. This is all terrible. Far from it. There's all kinds of great potential and possibility but it's also fraught with danger. And that's, of course, what we're going to hear most of in the mainstream media is, you know, the cases of, you know, horrible, horrible uses of social media. So, Wes, uh, is is Rachel the one who made uh, the Minecraft videos on how to build a house and all of that? Absolutely. I, yeah. I have to tell you, those have been very helpful. I've passed those on to lots of people. Uh, I was, uh, as you know, I, I just recently, just yesterday, found out that I am the first Texan to get uh, ISTE certified. Now, what did that involve? So what that involved a long, long journey. No. A lot of goldfish being swallowed <laughs> that were, you know. I don't know about goldfish, but uh, yeah, it was very interesting. The uh, but I was taking a look at the ISTE standards for uh, students, and you know, it, it's the creative communicator one really sort of apply. Well, it, it directly applies here. You know, students communicate complex ideas clearly and effectively by creating or using a variety of digital objects, visualization models, simulations. You know, all of those standards directly apply to exactly what you've been saying. And, and uh, I think it's so critical that our kids learn how to manipulate and create video. If they don't, they're going to be, I mean, they're left by the wayside. They're, they're the silent masses out there that, that nobody will ever know anything about. They won't be able to uh, participate and make uh, money in, in today's society, at least at the level that we would hope for them to be able to. And knowing how to edit a video, how to create a video is just so important. And I don't think it's limited to becoming an Adobe expert uh, and buying into a specific platform. You don't have to know Adobe Premiere to create engaging videos. Oh, yeah. Have you been on LinkedIn and seen some of the videos that um, uh, college students are, are creating and putting out there? 
I did update my resume for some reason on LinkedIn recently, um, but I have not spent a lot of time there. No. So are these like promotion, self-promotional or branding kinds of videos to tell the world who they are and what they can do? Well, they don't, they're not so obvious or direct as that. They, they are creating incredible content. Um, there's a, a young lady who, um, does presentations and she and sort of challenged all these other, um, I guess, uh, social media students, and they are creating videos on, on just a variety of topics. To give you one example, there's one on uh, speaking, and it was offering some of the most phenomenal advice and very quick, very approachable, easy to watch and listen to and, and put into practice. And I just think, man, this is the kind of stuff that all of us need to be able to know how to do and feel comfortable doing. Right. And the only way, as you know, to get there is to do it to do all this stuff. play with media show what you know with media these that's are right passionate about well shout out to david warlick author of raw materials Woo-hoo! for the mind you david. know who was one of the first people that i really heard say loud and clear you know if you want to be literate in the 21st century you have to use the tools of the 21st century in order to communicate and that's far beyond the paper and pencil education that the older folks around schools, you know, are so familiar with and we're, we're steeped in. So I think that is still still true. And that's why it's exciting to see whether it's Microsoft or Google or Apple or, or you know, company du jour. It's really not about the company. It's really about, you know, using the technology to communicate, using it to express, using it to be creative, uh, developing communication skills. We have been passionate about communication and for blogging for a long, long time. And did you start blogging in 2003 or do you know exactly your year of starting? I think I started the summer before you. Okay. I remember you approached me and you said, Hey, I noticed you're, you're doing something. What what year was that anyways? Cause I didn't, I lost track. I think that my podcast started in 2005 and I think 2003 was my blog. So, um, yeah, cause it was like iBlog. It was like this, you know, downloadable client blog that. Actually, Bob Sprankle had started with a few few different ones before WordPress. WordPress started for 2005. So. I was using Thingamablog. Yes, Oops. you were. If you <laughs> go were. online, you can still find Thingamablog. I think the biggest uh, disappointment was uh, the, the server that I had hosting over 7,000 entries that I'd written in Thingamablog went down. Ah, uh, yes. That's so. Right. That's right. Back in the day. All right. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little privacy because I know this is a topic that you well, feel uh, passionate right. about. And and for those of you that may not know, on edtechsr.com slash links, you will find an embedded Google document which has all of the links from today's 108th episode and all previous episodes. At some point, we're going to have to break this off and probably put something on another document. But we've got uh, titles over these. And so there's uh, about five or six articles under privacy. There was a really big I guess some people would say landmark decision. I read about it because I periodically go look at what Edward Snowden has to post. I mentioned him tongue in cheek at the beginning of the show, but um, there was a really big decision in, in England. So the Guardian on September 13th published an article, GCHQ, which is like the CIA of, of, of the United Kingdom, data collection regime violated human rights court rules, and then a, a, a website and I think nonprofit called Big Brother Watch on the same day, September 13th, posted UK mass surveillance ruled unlawful in landmark judgment. And so this is the um, revelation of Edward Snowden that we were having, you know, the the huge sort of virtual vacuum cleaners uh, in the United States and in Great Britain, sucking all of this data, ingesting all of this data without warrants, without probable cause, 
and then building profiles about all of these individuals, that that was illegal, that in this case it violated um, EU uh, rights that, that folks in the EU have. Uh, this was a, I'll say, read this, the legal claims already been heard by the UK's investigatory uh, powers tribunal were brought by a coalition of 14 human rights groups and privacy organizations, including Amnesty International, Liberty Privacy International, and Big Brother Watch, as well as journalists. So, Miguel, what do you think, uh, this is kind of a vindication, perhaps, in the eyes of some, of what Edward Snowden did. What do you think about his revelations? And if we think about digital citizenship in schools today, what would you say teachers need to be communicating to, to students or just asking them so that they're talking about issues that would relate to this kind of, uh, of privacy violation and, and, and mass surveillance by nation states? Well, I think we need to be really careful what we're doing in schools today because I, in some ways I think we're laying the ground for even greater surveillance uh, down the road. And, uh, you know, uh, I know that Edward Snowden um, revealed confidential secrets and, and put those out there. But, he, I mean, he is, uh, he, to me, he seems like he's sacrificed his whole life uh, to, to bring us this information. And I know that down the road, uh, probably everybody will look and say, oh, my gosh, what, what he's done for us has been really valuable. When, when I look at, at just what the judges were considering, you know, the bulk interception of communications, like you said, they're vacuuming up all of our data. It doesn't matter that that data is probably, most of that data is probably not a big deal. But it's like having somebody in your bathroom, you know, <laughs> you're going to the restroom. It's like, really butt out, get out of, of all of this. And if we continue to um, encourage our our education systems to just push for compliance, uh, our students are going to grow up and they're going to accept uh, government overwatch. And, you know, I'm an American. I'm not, I, I'm not uh, in some other country where it's, it's okay to do that. Apparently we were in the United States of America and uh, it, it's time to push back. And, you know, I, I keep expecting that government especially the political entities that that uh, have so long said you know we we stand for uh for all these uh, rights instead they're selling us down the river just to satisfy their political desires and and be able to sell us it's just wrong and i'm glad that uh, uh, at least the your the europeans have have pushed back so. it's interesting to see europe take a leadership role with the the gdpr the yeah. general what is it? Directive on privacy regulation <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. G but it is GDPR or so or whatever this, you know, privacy regulation. Of course, I think what we hope we've talked with Jason about this is that there's not an overcorrection, which oftentimes there is politically, you know, where not only innovation gets stifled, but I mean, there's people worried about the heart of the internet being broken, right? A fragmented internet because people say, Oh, all that data yeah. has to be in my country. And you know, the, the, the power of the internet that goes back, maybe for you to 2002, 2003 for me is this incredible ability to say, yes, I'm, I'm saving this on this internet connected computer and people around the world can access it and can read that. I mean, it's just a, that's a mind blowing capability. That's the publish it will, you know, back to 2005 oh, yeah. was talking about that kind of thing. And, and now of course there's all the dark side of that with, with fake news and the ways that, you know, uh, 
platforms like Facebook have been weaponized and, you know, we're, we're seeing all, all kinds of things. But I would say, um, you know, I, everybody, every, Edward Snowden should be in the curriculum, right? Like the, the mass surveillance and what's, what happened in response to, to really 9-11 and the ways in which countries have change normal when it comes to surveillance is a really important thing. And I'll say on a personal note, as a director of technology, you know, we've got over 120 cameras, uh, surveillance cameras on our campus. There's really good reasons for that. I mean, there've been things in the past and, and whatever in, in terms of like a passive go back and see that we're able to, you know, find out what occurred and, you know, take, take action and, and, and have, um, you know, have video evidence, and, and that can be a very positive thing. We just gave some chapel talks uh, this last week to our middle and high school students, and we have a new responsible use policy. And part of that, which parents, of course, signed as part of enrollment, but we have asked the, the students to sign and to acknowledge, is letting them know, hey, when you're using our wireless, we can peer into the packets and see things. You know, we use Gaggle, which is a tool that proactively, most importantly, I think, tries to identify if someone says they're going to harm someone, bring weapons to school, or they're, you know, com contemplating suicide or, or planning that. And so anyway, it's, it's really, um, it's a changing society. I kind of think that the trajectory of technology has just been to give the authorities more and more power and, sur and surveillance is a big part of that. And we see the extremes of that in China, certainly. And then, you know, there's countries, Iran, Turkey, uh, Qatar. I mean, a lot of Middle Eastern countries, uh, Yemen. Oh, my gosh. You know, the, the jailing of, of uh, folks there. But, you know, in Myanmar, lots of other places. So I think um, these are topics that a lot of teachers don't feel comfortable talking about, maybe not are not knowledgeable about. We're going to actually recognize, I think, and it celebrates the wrong word, but Digital Citizenship Week is coming up. I think it's the third week of October. And so we're going to have a series of talks. And one of the things, and I'd love your input on that, Miguel, is, you know, one of the days we're going to have some talks from a graduate talking about digital footprint and the ways in which social media um, has you know, he's navigated the, the pitfalls of that, but taken advantage of it because um, the person who's going to talk is our, I don't remember his exact title now, but he's basically our social media coordinator at school. And so all of our channels and, you know, posting to these different things, engaging, I mean, it's his full-time job. But of those other topics, like what are we going to talk about? Because I think it's easy to do a shock and awe, let me scare you that the internet is bad. But there's also a lot of topics to discuss that we really need students to wrestle with. And I would think privacy has got to be close to the top because it is an important issue. And if we don't make it important, it seems like we're just going to get steamrolled by the man or whatever. I don't know if that makes sense. but No, I, I definitely agree with you on this. You know, I... I definitely see the need for digit, more conversations about digital citizenship. I hate to bring up the ISTE standards again, but uh, um, okay. I've got them pulled up anyway, so I might as well. So I, I think what you're talking about here really refers to one of their uh, standards about maintaining a digital identity, digital identity, digital footprint. Uh, but the, the one that I think concerns me the most is students managing their personal data. So we want them to grow up knowing how to encrypt their data, to use encryption that's not doesn't have backdoors uh, for the government and the crooks that are trying to get into it. 
And I don't know if you saw it, but there was a uh, recently there was a, a article. It looks like it came out September 13th. So um, FBI raises alarm on ed tech and student data privacy and security. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and dropped it in the uh, group chat um, so you can find it. But if you do a quick search on FBI and ed tech, you'll, you'll be able to pull up several articles that sort of talk about this. And they said that the um, – Widespread collection of sensitive information by ed tech could present unique exploitation opportunities for criminals. And I think this is just really funny because they put this public service announcement out um, with and with one hand, the government is saying, hey, uh, ed tech is presenting all these opportunities for malicious use of sensitive data. Um, and then on the other, uh, our data is being compromised by the government itself and, and being scooped up and then not secured properly. When I look back over the last three years and think about how many data breaches my data has been exposed in, including some by state government, um, you know, it's, it's just unbelievable. I, I, I can't use a, um, let me see a strong enough word, ticked off. What's up with that? Let's get angry about it. But, you know, uh, we also need to get smart and protect our data and then push for, for reforms that are going to enable us and put in our hands the tools. Because just like you said earlier, yeah, anybody can publish at will. But now we need, since all of our data is out there and we're able to put information out there, we need to be able to encrypt at will. And for a lot of our children, we don't that. show them that encrypt at will uh, ideas because it would – um, make uh, oversight or control of them more difficult. And to me, that seems like uh, the beginning of a rep- repressive, oppressive um, government, yeah. organization, yeah. institution, etc. Miguel, have you posted a blog on Encrypt at Will? That sounds like a forthcoming post from you if it's not already <laughs> happened. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't posted one yet, uh, but but thank you for uh, making the suggestion. I'll have to do that. Sure. Now, one of my favorite tools that's out there is the Paranoia uh, Works. Have you seen – did you all have recently talk about that? I, You know, I put it as a geek of the week to do at some point, but I don't, I don't think I've talked about it. So tell us about it. Wow. It is a phenomenal tool. works on all your mobile devices. You can encrypt text. They also have a web-based uh, presence. When we implemented um, safeguarding sensitive data in, uh, policies in my previous school district, the uh, that was the tool that I went to as the tool to use um, and train people on um, because, you know, it's free. It's open source. Uh, that means anybody can look at the code and prevent uh, back doors and, and stop that. And uh, it works on multiple platforms. So let's bring a, another article to this. And then I'm going to ask you about your, your sort of elevator pitch for why we need encryption. Um, the EFF on September 24th posted the article, Australian government ignores experts in advancing its anti-encryption bill. And this is the same kind of chorus that we continue to hear from Homeland Security, security forces saying, oh, you really, you know, we need to make sure you have a backdoor to your software because we've got to stop terrorism. But the problem is once you open a backdoor to law enforcement, now now you've opened up a clear, you know, door for any kind of malicious bad actors, and and those folks are going to be able to find that. So, Miguel, I would guess that you are not in favor of mandatory backdoors for, you know, software and smartphones and things like that. What is your elevator pitch for why encryption is important 
and why mandatory backdoors, and I'm guessing here for you, why, why that would not be a good idea for governments to mandate. So terrible elevator purchase, Wes. Thanks a lot. Uh, so the, uh, as I think about it, um, we have tons of personal data that we have to manage that the government can't manage for us. And, you know, I, I sort of think of it as a, um, sort of like the American frontier, <laughs> um, because we are very much on the frontier, uh, of this, uh, more and more people are connected to the internet every day. They have tons of, of information, personal identifiable information, health information, financial, and we have trusted all of our institutions, and all of them have failed to protect our data. We have to take ownership of that. If you had asked an American uh, pioneer uh, who, you know, living on the edge uh, of, of hostile uh, territory, hostile because we were probably appropriating other people's lands uh, to be sensitive to Native American perspective here, um, would would he have said I'm going to depend on some faraway uh, authority to protect me? The answer is no. Where has the American spirit gone that that said, you know, we're going to be independent, we're going to take ownership, and we're going to push back? Would we ever dream of telling um, those American pioneers and their children that they couldn't get the tools they needed to defend themselves? The answer is no. Of course not. So. Why are we doing that now in today's society? Why are we raising our children to be dependent on a government that's going to, um, unfortunately, uh, be incompetent about protecting their data? And when I say this, I mean this across all. I have been breached. <laughs> all of my data is out there. My entire family, even my mother's data. And, you know, she was in her 80s. She... All of her data was was completely out there and lost by teacher retirement system and schools, um, health infer- health doctors, emergency rooms. What's the deal with that? You know, if they can't manage our data, who has to do it? We do. And you know what? I'm so I'm so glad to say that the ISTE standards for for students clearly say students manage their personal data, and it all begins not just with your digital footprint but also being able to show them the tools. So, Wes, are you going to empower your students not only to publish at will, but also encrypt at will You're- and put that data on your network and on the, your cloud storage devices, and then you can't get into it? You're giving me some good food for thought. And I'm thinking another, you know, blog post is this is digital self-reliance. Cause when you're talking about pioneers, yeah. you're thinking about defense, think about self-reliance. That's a, a key part of, of really the romantic vision of, of pioneers and, you know, the 1800s of America and earlier. So I, I might, I might do that. I really, we, I need to come up and this is only a few weeks away. And, and I do have some responsibility over, over coming up with these chapel talks and these, these discussions that we're going to do. And then in our advisory, we've got advisory time with faculty and, and there's important stuff to grapple with. And I think based actually on a conversation today with our middle school tech liaison, I mean, they're, you know, she was talking with her advisees about privacy and about, you know, they, she was helping them realize that, you know, the school does have the right to go through your, your school bag or to go through your phone. And, you know, if, if, I mean, we're a private school, so that's a little different even than public school, but public school too, like if there's disruption and there's probable, you know, cause, um, it's been a while since I've 
gone through those legal classes and I, you know, have been an administrator for a while, but not a, an assistant principal or a principal. But anyway, those kids were responding, well, we should have privacy and we should be able to, you know, have things that, that we keep to ourselves. So I think it is a touchstone uh, that's very sensitive. And anyway, it's, it's given me some good, good food for thought. Um, I'll shout out to an article about, um, oh, let's see, what was I going to do? Um, well, while you're looking for that, Wes, I, I have to also throw an oppositional perspective here because I, I know that, that there are probably listeners saying, you know, we are, um, what if you have a, um, a, an educator or a staff member who is taking advantage of VPNs, um, encrypting all their traffic, they're using um, a DuckDuckGo or what, whatever, what's the browser? Tor. Tor. Or uh, any one of those uh, tools, and they're you know they have data. Maybe they're storing pornographic images on their their work machine on their laptop. Certainly that has happened. Uh, in fact, I, you know we we've had suspicion of that happening in in different places that I've worked, and I know that other t- uh, technology directors have to deal with that as well. But let's be honest: how many of those people do we actually have in our schools that are that are uh, doing that? And we hope that, that they won't take advantage of all these tools, but some of them do. And I, I think that the convenience of being able to catch these people, um, with, with, uh, I guess I'd hate to say with their pants down, but catching them with uh, putting inappropriate content on, on work machines is just crazy. Um, well, we can justify things based on the behavior of outliers, right? Like terrorism yeah, and the fact that we absolutely. have some people who are radicalized and, and who are doing some, you know, pretty bad things. We, we don't want all of the, we don't want normal to be completely defined by the behavior of the outlier. And I think that that's a challenge for. Perfect school administrators for a lot of folks. Um, This is an article I wanted to shout out to. This is Business Insider on September 12th. Google Cloud's new AI chief is on a task force for AI military uses and believes we could monitor, quote, pretty much the whole world, end quote, with drones. And, you know, we need kids to be learning robotics. Microsoft MakeCode sounds great. There are careers that are happening right now, today, as well as will be in the future, programming drones, controlling drones, you know, doing sort of live fly-by-wire stuff, but also writing algorithms for how these things are going to, you know, patrol over. I've I heard an NPR a number of months ago, and, and interestingly, these kind of things sometimes happen outside the United States. So this was, I think, right across the, the southern border of the United States and Mexico. But they were talking about the benefit of having these drones overhead all the time. And so when a crime happened, they could rewind the tape, see where these cars that had done this drive-by shooting were going back to, and then they busted down the doors and arrested these folks. And they had evidence that, you know, these vehicles that had done these drive-by shootings, you know, where they originated and and who was responsible for that. And so, uh, you know, I did a TEDx talk a few years ago about digital citizenship in the surveillance state. And I really do think that just about wherever you live today, unless you're in a remote Amazonian jungle village or you're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean or something, I mean, if you're in a quote unquote, you know, developed country, surveillance is a huge part of your life, whether you realize it or not. I think you've tweeted before 
about stingrays. These are these things that law enforcement have bought that, you know, masquerades as a cell phone signal, but allows them to intercept and, you know, kind of like the mass surveillance that Snowden reported on, ingest vast amounts of data and then be able to utilize it. So these are important issues to talk about. And I think that one of the, the things that was raised when we were talking about a framework for digital citizenship was that we needed to include student voice and student advocacy. And so I think that, you know, perhaps opening the eyes of students or just, you know, directing them towards what kinds of issues matter here and what needs your advocacy. We are seeing what, what Jason Neifer calls a technology correction, where because of what's happened with elections, what's happened with Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, yada, 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 we're seeing a movement in the United States, as we've had in Europe, to regulate. And so there's a high likelihood that we're going to see some kind of privacy, you know, regulation in the United States. I definitely think in the same way that we can find out what credit agencies know about us and have a chance to correct that record if it's wrong. You know, right now there's an opacity or a barrier that stands between us and the data that's been collected by these companies about us and that we should be able to you know, have access to what they've collected and what they're selling and monetizing and then actually have a chance to, you know, erase it or do something about that. What is your prediction, Miguel? Do you think that we're going to have some sort of regulation in the whole realm of, of social media and privacy? And do you have opinions about whether that's a, a good or a bad thing? I, I don't think that that the regulation, if it comes out, I, I think that it's in the government's best interests, uh, law enforcement to strip as many of our freedoms away as possible as our rights. And I, I, I think that rather than see regulations that are going to safeguard our rights, uh, we're going to see those go away, especially if we continue with the current administration and, and going forward. Um, I hope that I'm, I'm worried because we have, it seems like two polar extremes, Republicans, Democrats on either side that, that we're going to just um, get seesawed back and forth between these two uh, almost radical uh, perspectives. And, you know, the moderate perspective, the middle ground is gone. Um, you, you can't have a conversation without it becoming inflamed one way or the other. Right. And so it's fun. It makes for great uh, uh, cable TV and uh, uh, ed tech situation rooms. But uh, <laughs> the reality is uh, I, I think we'd like a little bit more moderation. Well, it's, I, I am, it's, go ahead. It's amusing ourselves to death, right? That's the yeah. Neil Postman view of mainstream media. If it bleeds, it leads. And sort of we, you know, we go, we go down a rabbit hole. It's not a great place to be as a society as those kinds of things dominate. The, the headlines. I think the only thing we can protect really is what's in our heads. And uh, hopefully we won't uh, get that kind of technology and no, <laughs> I'm gone. But one of the, you, you mentioned the, the drone surveillance and one of the uh, books that sort of really opened my eyes to that was a, a fiction book and it completely caught me off guard. And I would just want to recommend it uh, to listeners. Uh, there's no kickbacks or anything. It's just one of the books I really enjoyed. Uh, the author's name is Daniel Suarez. Uh, S-U-A-R-E-Z, and the, the title of the book is Kill Decision, and uh, it was written in, or published in 2012. It, I think it's a must-read. If you haven't thought about these issues uh, or you need to sort of imagine what it might be like, definitely check that out. Mm. He's got some other great ones uh, out there as well. You know, when we were talking about gaming and its prevalence and how it's moving out there, um, 
you definitely need to read some of his, his books, his other books, um, because I love this idea that he came up with where every, um, foot or area of, of the earth has been mapped. And it's, it's hard to imagine now to think that every part of the earth could be so easily mapped, but we're seeing technology that's going to be incredible in the next few years. Oh gosh. Yeah. And so imagine turning that into a virtual space where you're walking around. And of course, this is augmented reality. It's all, some of this is already here. Yeah. So it's, it's not a uh, unimaginable future. It's, it's just right around the corner. So it is absolutely. And um, I've dropped this um, link into the show notes. We had, (coughs) pardon me, an article a couple of weeks ago about Antarctica and just the level of detail down to which, I mean, we're talking of like foot, you know, three feet level detail, just incredible that, that uh, we have. And so, you know, keep in mind those declassified uh, documents that we have about DARPA, the defense advanced research agency. I mean, they're, they're 10 to 20 years ahead of where we are as consumers. And so it's incredible what their capabilities are. And, and, and we, we are glimpsing dimly as unclassified civilians into, you know, what that kind of capability is. So I dropped that in as a, an additional geek of the week for you. Um, let's talk quickly about Apple. I know that that's not your favorite company to talk about, but linked to what you're discussing and we're talking about with privacy, Mac Rumors on September 25th had the article Apple's Bud Tribble to offer support for, quote, comprehensive federal privacy legislation at Senate hearing on Wednesday, and that was today. I think it's very interesting to see how Apple has, has stood on that bandwagon saying we don't monetize our customers, you know, and they're, of course, they're producing a product physically that they want folks to buy, whereas Amazon is, is getting us to purchase products from other people, and, you know, companies like Google and Facebook are are really monetizing our data, and so we're willingly giving this information away and then allowing that to be monetized and sold. And so I think that's important to track. And then the other thing, um, you know, that I definitely want to do a shout out with, and I bet Peggy will enjoy this if she hasn't read it already. There is a wonderful article from Wired Magazine on September 16th called An Oral History of Apple's Infinite Loop. And there are just great, great stories from all kinds of folks that have worked at Apple for for years and years, you know, with lots of Steve Jobs stories and, and others, you know, recounting where things have gone, you know, in terms of, of the company. And uh, if, if you are at all an Apple fan person and you have been for a number of years, you will love that. So do you side with Apple, Miguel? I know you're very, you know, loving Microsoft at this point, but what do you think about Apple's stance on privacy? And I mean, do you think that's genuine or, or do you, you know, is that product marketing? What, what do you make of that? Well, I definitely want to commend Apple for, for taking that stand. I, I, I think we all cheered when, uh, Tim Cook said, uh, that it had to be protected, that we don't monetize our customers and that the iPhone is one of the more secure, uh, devices. But, uh, I, I guess I'm a little jaded about, uh, the claims of any of the, the big, you know, Apple, Google, Microsoft, uh, um, and sometimes I, when I'm using any one of those devices, I know that my data is not, I, I don't have complete control over that data. And I think that, uh, you know, you go back to Richard Stallman and, uh, free, is it the free software foundation and, and, uh, um, the idea of trusted computing 
you know, we're just getting closer and closer to what, what he hinted at back then. And I know Richard Stallman comes across as really crazy and weird, but, uh, um, he had some good points and he did. He did. Yeah. And so I think we're just headed down that way. I have an Android phone and, um, it works great. You're not running the Windows phone, Miguel. What, what's up? Have your, have the Microsoft overlords learned that you're running Android? You might, you know, forfeit, uh, forfeit some from status in Redmond with that. I don't know. I think I've seen, um, well, we always value speaking the truth. And um, there's been a, a profound change, I think, at, at Microsoft. Uh, they've made a real effort to um, change. And I have to admit that one of the reasons I don't like uh, some aspects of Apple is that I hate their MacBooks. Um, I hate the new new Macs that are coming out. I uh, don't like the fact they've sort of undercut the processor. And Wait a minute. Else. They don't know or – are you talking about they haven't had a new announcement in the last week or so in that event still pending for this month or for October? Uh, according to my inside sources. Ah, ooh, okay. Very good. No, no, just kidding. I don't what, know. What do you run? What's your daily carry for computers, Surface by the way? Microsoft Surface Book. Surface Book Pro? Uh, no, no. This is a full Surface Book. It's not a Surface Pro tablet. It's, it's, the, it's uh, the hinge and you can detach and all that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Best laptop I've owned. Um, and I've had MacBook Air before they killed it. And Why is it so good? So can, convince me. It's fast. Uh, the operating system doesn't get in my way. Um, I'm able to pretty much I run any program that I want. If I want to, I can run Linux on the other side if I if I have to, or run it within Windows. Do you just run Windows Defender, or, or do you have an antivirus favorite at this point for Windows? I, my antivirus favorite would be Bitdefender, but I stopped paying for it because... I found that Windows Defender does everything I need it to do. That's... The only utility that I need now is uh, that I use on a regular basis is Glary Utilities, G-L-A-R-Y Utilities. What does that do? Uh, well, it helps you know optimize your registry, keep everything moving along pretty fast, and it also comes with uh, a malware uh, program. And I run the malware program, but to be honest, I, I have not had any problems, knock on wood, any problems on my Surface books. And I have two of them um, mm-hmm. that I that I use. And it's like, my gosh, these things are wonderful. I have a, one with an i7 processor and one with an i5. And uh, in fact, I got the i5. That's the one I'm using right now um, through the Microsoft Surface Expert program. So definitely encourage you, if you're thinking about becoming a, you know, getting into Microsoft education community, go to education.microsoft.com. Go be a Surface expert. It's awesome. And I got this Surface book in the mail um, as a part of that. <laughs> so uh, to be clear, I bought my my i7 processor Surface book long before I ever well, got this. We're having conversations. We, we had actually licensed Kaspersky a couple of years ago. And gosh, we've been having so much trouble with it slowing things down. Um, As the Russians it, working with well, you. Well, Kaspersky know, Labs, the one that uh, they don't know if they were simply ex- if they were simply exploited because it gave them searchability through the you know root of the devices to say, hey, tell me everything that was you know classified, or whether they actually collaborated. But yes, I'm sure they're digging through your through your schools. Well, so. right, we've got a lot of important information that you know Russia wants. Uh, I do need to give a shout out to my mother who periodically listens to the show. She was Woo-hoo. the one who shared the article about Infinite Loop and Apple. 
Um, and I want to, yes, my mother is on Twitter. She has a protected account, but it's a great thing to, to get to have mom share some articles that way. Um, let's see. There was one other one that I wanted to highlight. Um, well, I, I went ahead and put in uh, the Gary Utilities as well as Kill Decision as some some Geeks of the Week. Um, and so Fantastic. we're going to have to, yeah, you've got a bunch of those. Um, Do we move away from privacy, though? You know, we, we may well, be. Well, unfortunately, out. we're at almost the top of the hour to do Geeks of the Week this time. Oh, my gosh. It's alone. already yeah. three minutes to go. Crazy. What what uh, is there another article you'd like us to talk about before we Geek of the Week it and oh, head out? The... Uh... No, we almost uh, um... – Well, the Evernote articles we could do, but it's a quick one. Boing, boing from September 19th. Evernote isn't looking too <laughs> healthy these days. Uh, I was definitely a person to buy into Evernote and put tons of, of content there. I've actually found myself with Google Docs taking my notes and putting my stuff there. After, after reading that article, I did an export and actually ingested everything from Evernote into into Google Docs as a backup. Um, I'm going to guess, Miguel, that you love OneNote and that that is your go-to, or am I wrong? Is there another place that you – maybe you're a Google Keep guy. What, what, what's your note-taking? Or do you even trust the cloud? Is it all local for you? Yes. Really? To all of that. So, uh, okay. So, um, Wes, since y'all are, are converting to Microsoft in the near future, Office 365, right. I definitely want to encourage you to check out OneNote because it is just phenomenal. You can copy and paste and drop tons of stuff. I can, I could give you lots of great examples. I'm going to throw one out there right now. Just go to, uh, uh, ly.tca.org slash connect. Uh, that one is one of the ones that I use for to just drop content. It's not a lot of content there, but if you were to go to ly.tca.org slash MIE2018, you will find a zillion resources relevant to all of the Office 365 tools. In fact, that's probably a must-have link because that's a OneNote online notebook. You can put almost any kind of content into OneNote, and it just works great. The only one that doesn't quite work great is PowerPoint. And the reason why is they got rid of Office Mix, one of my favorite tools. I'm still sort of sore about that, so I'm going to complain about it. So um, if you haven't looked at OneNote, it's 100% free, works on all devices, and they have been pouring so much money into it. You almost just need to load OneNote so that you can take a picture of, of text and take and use the OCR or the immersive reader so that you can get read aloud capabilities. This is a game changer for a lot of students uh, with special needs or or second language learners. And I definitely want to encourage you look at OneNote. Really, I okay. did not think that much of it several years ago, but they have it has made tremendous growth over the last yeah. year. And I've now, I've heard great great things about it. I do yeah. too. You, and you can drop stuff into it through If This Then That, Wes. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of great for curation. Okay, so if you don't want to do OneNote, uh, maybe you're a Google Holdout. There is another fantastic uh, note-taking tool that I 100% recommend. In fact, I'm archiving um, all of the blog entries that I've been writing uh, recently, not necessarily for Around the Corner, but for that other blog that I, I don't want to, you know, just throw out there and say, because you might say I'm advertising or Miguel, something. Miguel, you are able to promote your spots. We're going to, that's why we end the show by saying well, that people case, can read out, from it. 
check out TCA Tech Notes blog. I keep a, a an archive copy of my own, uh, just for my own portfolio. But Joplin is a fantastic tool. And for those of you that like uh, Markdown, or you know, if you're not familiar with Markdown, it's just a quick way to take a standard text file and just add, you know, like um, pound symbols or hashtag symbols uh, and asterisks, and it, it enables you to just convert your content. And it's very quick and easy. Lots of people use it. Um, Joplin supports that. It supports HTML. It has a great um, app that works on multiple devices. And this it, is what you guys use for tech notes. Well, no, that we use WordPress for, for tech okay. notes, but I archive a lot of stuff and I keep my notes on there. And, uh, can you drop that link in later on the, on the show notes? Just send it app, the week. Yeah. If you, well, yeah. And if you do a quick search, so on Joplin, J O P L I N, uh, notes, uh, you should be able to find the website. It, it's, it's job. Oh, it's got sort yeah, of a weird I'll website, joplin.kozik.net, yeah. but it's, it's a, it just works and it saves all your files on a um, variety of storage places, uh, Dropbox, uh, OneDrive. And um, I, I actually have all of mine saved on OneDrive and they're saved as uh, markdown files. But uh, then you can sort of also get them into HTML, but it's so easy. I mean, I keep my, uh, let me see, I'm trying to find something that's not, uh, uh, we, we, we're, we're going to need, I want to give a shout out to Peggy. She said that, uh, you know, this is true. The Evernote article is pretty inferential. They, they talk about, you know, staff trimming and things like that. I mean, Evernote may be doing the, the, the right kind of adjustment to their, to their staff and, and whatever they may not, we don't want to strike fear in the hearts of, of everyone, but it, uh, we have seen web 2.0 tools come and go. So are you saying Miguel that Joplin would be a better choice than Evernote? Absolutely. I would say almost anything is a better choice than Evernote. Um, Evernote is such a, uh, you know, I loved Evernote. I paid for Evernote. I was one of their fans. I was in their corner and I was spending money on them. And then they just went crazy trying to make more money and they completely ruined it. Then they started trimming away features for free. And even for paid users, they took away some of my beloved yeah. uh, features. I had entire tons of curated content. Mm. Now I would all throw it all into OneNote uh, or Joplin. And depending on how you like to do that, you could post it in OneNote and share it as a OneNote online uh, notebook, which is what I've done with tons of, of stuff. If you were to go to ly.tca.org slash T-C-A-M-E-E, you'd find all my Minecraft education edition. Uh, we've got it in the show notes. So Fantastic. all right, we're going to have to do Geeks of the Week and then we're going to get out of here. But I am going to have to ask this additional question, Miguel. So okay. you at some point crossed the threshold to Microsoft Fanboy. What was, can you point to that time? What was it that made you say, oh my gosh, there's great things happening in Microsoft and just, you know, really it was a turning point in your own ed tech history. Because, I mean, I remember you historically as one of the, the loudest, you know, open source, you know, Linux advocates. And I'm going to guess you still have advocacy there. But what was your turning point with Microsoft? Is there a spot you can point to? Well, what I'm looking for is a device that I can do what I want to do on it. And, you know, when... Uh, 
you know, when Apple started, uh, the MacBook Air went down the tubes and they started coming up with a, a really terrible version of it and follow up. I decided I was not going to go there. And so I looked for a different machine. I saw the Surface Book and it really captured my attention. I run Linux on my Surface Book on this, on one side. And I also run Windows 10. Windows 10 works great. Everybody knows, I mean, Windows 7, Windows 8, they're pieces of junk. But Windows 10, um, although, remember, I know that when I'm working on a Windows machine or on a Mac or whatever, I do not trust that my data is safe, okay? I, or in the sense of, I know that I, that my, I could eventually be, you know, infiltrated or whatever. But if you're working in a school situation, that's not really that, an issue there is it you're you're going your your data is you have no expectation of privacy right so, so the sur- the service book was really the turning point for you yeah it's what sort of woke me up and then of course uh, I, i'm going to mangle his name but the the satya sat satya nadella the new ceo, new CEO. He, yeah yeah he's been it's uh, a new philosophy yeah, completely it's a different. different. Yeah, cross-platform and, you know, much in the way that IBM has reinvented themselves, I think Microsoft has been in a similar kind of situation. Absolutely. And I, I work with lots of – I get a chance to interact with lots of uh, great Microsoft support staff. And and I've, I've had the opportunity to do that on the Apple side. But I continue to see that Apple is focused on making money, locking people down into their systems. And, of course, to a limited degree, that happens with all of the, of the big three, you know, Apple, Google, and and uh, Microsoft, they all want you to adopt their their particular ecosystem. Right. But uh, I'm looking for the one that's going to enable me and uh, make it easy for people to coexist and be empowered. And work well. Be empowered. Yeah, do what exactly. you want to do. Be who yes. you want to be. All right. Well, Miguel, <laughs> your yeah. advocacy for the ISTE standards has made me think that for those listeners out there that that happen to be on the ISTE board and are contemplating, you know, people that need to be brought into leadership, perhaps keynote speakers for the upcoming conference, Miguel Gulen certainly, you know, needs to be on their list. And for those that are not following you, they certainly need to be. You've always been a font of knowledge for the latest in ed tech goodness. Um, let's go to Geeks of the Week. If you want to share yours, I'll share mine, and then we will close out the show because we're running a bit over the top of the hour. But the wonderful thing about the podcast is, hey, <laughs> no advertisers are in this. In this show, we're paying anything. Uh, we can do whatever we want. So That's what's right. what's your main Geek of the Week tonight? Well, uh, I got an email. It was uh, about the Animoto data breach that took place uh, just a few months ago. I'm, I'm sure you all probably covered it here at the EdTech Situation Room. Um, but, uh, I had gotten this email and, uh, actually I think I just wrote about it right before the show, uh, opened up. So if you go to, uh, www.mguhlin.org, you can read the article on it and see the email that I received about the Animoto data breach. But at the same time, uh, it was a juxtaposition of the Firefox monitor, which I see that y'all have discussed that already. Well, not really. That was just an article I, we put in. I didn't mention it since it was your geek of the week. So oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I went over to the Firefox monitor and, uh, and, uh, it, uh, you know, you enter your email and I hope, Wes, I hope you don't mind, but I actually signed you up. Did you notice oh, you got an email from Firefox monitor on uh, your Westfire at gmail.com? Oh, you've just told everyone my email, Miguel. What the heck? It's I can't public. even edit this. Look at that. <laughs> well, not really. All right. right. Send Wes an email <laughs> at Westfire at gmail.com. Oh my gosh. All right. Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> That's right. We, not, am oh, I gonna, 
I can't feel free to email me. I'm yeah. at uh, mgulen at tca.org. Or, well, there's uh, lots of spam in there already. So no, yeah. just what's the heck? What's that? Anyway, so Firefox Monitor was have you been pawned, right? Put into the Firefox to bring it to a larger audience as far as breaches. Are you, have you been surprised at all by how many breaches your wonderful emails of old have been exposed? And, well, and- I was surprised when Firefox Monitor actually sent me the report. I realized, oh my gosh, I need to add this to my cyber privacy, the cyber security uh, workshop that I do because I had the other, uh, the Have I Been Pond uh, uh, website there. It was pretty phenomenal website. It's great to be able to log in. But Firefox Monitor uh, follows up and sends you an email with a list of all of them. And um, in that blog entry I shared, it was like, oh my gosh, all of this is out there. And people just don't know. They're blissfully unaware that (laughs) they're going to get hacked or whatever. Right. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, my Geek of the Week is uh, pretty quick. It's the Learning Creative Learning, a free online course by the MIT Media Lab and Dr. Mitch Resnick. Um, I've got a link to a 60-second promo video, but this starts on October 9th, completely free. Um, Mitch Resnick has written a great book. He's the guy behind the Lifelong Kindergarten Group at MIT, Scratch, Coding. And so this really explores learning projects through what he calls the four P's, passion, Oh, sorry, projects, passion, peers, and play. It is awesome, and I'm excited to be able to jump in there and connect with other educators and would love to to see any of you that might be listening to the show. So we are a bit over the top of the hour. We need to uh, check out. So, Miguel, when you are not on, you know, podcasts like the EdTech Situation Room on Wednesday night, where can people follow you, read your good stuff? Uh, what kinds of websites do you want to to definitely plug and have people save and visit. So I, I do most of my, um, if you follow my Twitter account at M-G-U-H-L-I-N, you'll, you'll be able to see pretty much everything that I'm sharing. I curate quite a bit of content and, you know, just like you, Wes, I am a voracious reader, but I'm not, I don't read as much as you do apparently. But um, the website where I sort of process a lot of ideas, especially focused on teaching, learning, and leading uh, is uh, the TCA Tech Notes blog. You just go to blog.tca.org, uh, and you'll be able to access just tons of phenomenal content. So I, I very in- I encourage you to do that. And, of course, I still blog at Around the Corner, uh, www.mgulen.org, since 2003. Wow. In a while. Awesome. It's All right. Well, I am W Fryer on Twitter. My blog, speedofcreativity.org, still gets an update or two every once in a while. I am writing a monthly newsletter, a monthly, a weekly newsletter that I write on Sunday nights. Um, without too much personal disclosure, I have realized that I need to be investing a little bit more time in, uh, you know, sort of ed tech. Writing, um, would love to be able to do some more speaking and keynoting and things like that in the months and, and years ahead. Uh, need to be working on some books, but the website digsit.us is the digital citizenship website, which I have created for our school. And um, actually, we'll be putting the video of the chapel talk that I shared with our school psychologist, Dr. Jerry Bacham-McKinney, a couple of weeks ago. Tomorrow, we'll be talking to our lower division, which is our grades one through four elementary students, talking about our responsible use policy and digital citizenship. And anyway, there's going to be quite a bit coming out you know, in October as we recognize Digital Citizenship Week. So this is the EdTech Situation Room. We want to encourage you to share us with others. You can generally find us wherever podcasts are curated. You can tell your 
your Amazon Assistant device, and we won't say her name, or your Google Assistant um, to play the latest episode of EdTech SR. You can find us on uh, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Pocket Casts, whatever your favorite podcast catcher might be. We'd love to hear from you if you've got ideas for shows, suggestions for future guests, or if you've got some feedback from Miguel Gulen. Uh, definitely, you know, share that, uh, you know, later we'll be publishing Miguel's, uh, phone number and social security number for all of you who would like to reach out. No, we will not do that, but, um, seriously, uh, utilize Twitter. Zero six one. No, 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 no. Uh, Miguel and I love to, to utilize Twitter as an educational networking tool. So we wish you a good night <laughs> as I'm going to cough at the end of the show. Thank you for tuning in and until next time. Stay savvy and be safe. I'm sorry, Wes, I messed up. It was 405 something. Nah. <laughs>